0: You're listening to the Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank.
1: And welcome back to the Recovered Life Show. How are you doing today, Christina?
0: Beautiful. Happy Monday to you. Happy our-
1: Monday to you. Guess yes. what? Can you believe this? This is, seems a little hard for me to believe. It. We're on <laughs> episode every time. <laughs> eighty-two. It Monday, does. March seventh,
0: twenty twenty-two. It's really exciting. March 7th, too. Wow. It's like February came and went.
1: Exactly. And now we're Welcome. already
0: in the first week of March.
1: We're already here live streaming again. We hit you on or about 8 a.m. Yeah. every Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, and Friday. So good to see you, Christina. Thank and you. wishing everybody a great Monday. We're back from the weekend. Yes. Uh, you know, in recovery, Christina, uh, we know that Mondays are actually a good thing. Mondays they used are. to be a horrible thing.
0: Not anymore. When
1: you're in active addiction, but now it's a good thing.
0: It's a do-over day, right? We get to start again. It's amazing. Really, truly. I enjoy Mondays. I know, you know, setting my intentions and knowing what the week is going to be like loosely really, really helps me. And so I love Monday. I get very excited about it.
1: So Welcome to Monday, episode 82, March 7th, 2022. Here we go. We've got a really great show for you today. Two really great segments and talking about some interesting stuff. Yes.
0: Very interesting, right? Those articles shocked me, so stay tuned because this is some cool information or sad information, depending on what you think about it. Wow. Wow. So much information out there.
1: So just, we want to let you guys know that uh, this episode is brought to you by the Recovered Life contributors and viewers like you, right, Christina? Yes, yes. That are out there listening to this. Right. And, and you're the ones that we're really doing the show for, and you are the ones that are supporting the show.
0: Absolutely. And we thank you so much. And one of the ways to support us is to like, share, and follow, let some people know Um, We also have this other way, uh, very, very cool option now for donations for many people who've asked. And it is buymeacoffee.com forward slash recovered life. For me, it will be a sports drink. For Damon, it will be a big fat espresso. But please feel comfortable jumping on to and giving us a comment so we know exactly what kind of information that you're looking for. Remember, it's buymeacoffee.com forward forward slash recovered life. Also- and
1: Christina, it helps. It really does it help. Does. And I gotta tell you, I'm on my almost second cup of coffee here on on a Monday. So we need it. But actually all the money goes to we just pump back into the show. Exactly. You know, letting people know that are in recovery or getting into recovery how to live their best recovered life.
0: That's so true. So you can find us too on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Also, if you are driving or on the treadmill and you can't watch, make sure that you look for us on your favorite podcast platform, The Recovered Life, and you can get these episodes there along with a bunch of interviews. So make sure that you join, like, and follow
1: Absolutely. Let's get let's dive right into the show here, Christina. I have an interesting article that I found that I wanted to talk with you about, and I'm going to put it up here on screen. It's uh, it 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 is scary that it basically it's a CNN health article, and it 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 says that people at age 50, this Mm -hmm. is a study that they did Mm -hmm. who drank a pint of beer, six ounce glass of wine a day in the last month had brains that appeared two years older than those who only drank a half of, of 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 that serving, right? right So if they only drank a half of that serving, their brains were actually shrinking. and I sent this to you and you're like, no I way, can, I can't even believe this.
0: Well, and it said it went on to say that three units of alcohol, which I never drank three units of alcohol, actually added three and a half years to your age. if you could believe that, and, and the, the, the uh, actual person who wrote this explained that it's a little askew because it's probably a lot bleaker because it's accumulative. So wow. for the six years that I drank, technically more than three units, I was shortening my life by years and years and years because it is accumulative. They did this with, it looks like 6,000 people. Let me look here. Um, but they put it against a subset of, they had 36,000 people who took part of this study and they, uh, compared it to a 500,000 unit, you know, study about the differences. And what that study shows is that they were able to even put it in subcategories. So depending on your health unit, I was a smoker when I drank, the two went hand in hand. I am so grateful that, you know, abstinence became my way of life because hopefully I've done some uh, regeneration in all of these areas. I mean, shrinking the brain makes it it makes it more understandable maybe to people who don't have a drinking problem about why it is so hard to stop drinking. Right. Because we don't have access to our prefrontal cortex and we're shrinking our brain literally.
1: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and on. I brought this up for the, so the people who are watching this uh, on uh, YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, i am actually brought it up on the screen right now. And those of you who are tuned into the podcast, we'll just read some of this stuff for you. This is a CNN health article. And basically it's saying, uh, to, you know, to, to really break it down is that one drink per day can shrink your brain no and you're, for you're, 30 you're, days. you're moving backwards for, for 30 days. Now, this was the interesting thing because it didn't talk about regeneration, right? No, it didn't. And and this always this always fascinates me because look, if you've been in recovery for any period of time, you know people who are in their 80s and 90s that are still drinking, right? Right. And you're like going, "Wow, like how is that impairing uh, you, you know, if you're drinking 20, 30 years, how is that impairing your judgment, Truth. your ability to process thoughts and feelings, right? It's it's really significant.
0: Yeah and it and you know the things I grew up in the 12 step program and they talked about how we are at the age that we quit drinking right we're at the age that we started drinking both emotionally spiritually and so our physical self is getting worse and worse and we're not growing emotionally And if you layer that on top of this study, that belief system, it's like science is coming out and proving, you know, this old book that has been around 80 years that it was actually true. Now, I do know there is neuroplasticity, you know, which they found out, I don't know, 20 years ago, they started to realize the brain is actually plastic, so we can repair it. But I cannot imagine 30 days causing that much damage. It's, it, it is frightening. It is.
1: It is frightening. And, you know, and the thing is, is that when they, in, in this, they talk about the benefits of alcohol, right? Right. Now. I, I'm going to, look, let's dive into the whole alcoholic Red addiction wine. conversation, yeah. which, look, if you're listening to the Recovered Life uh, show, you're, you're probably in recovery or thinking about getting in recovery, right? Correct. Or, or associated with recovery in some way. And here's the thing. Alcohol, especially, and I saw this with wine, Christina, mm-hmm. uh, alcohol companies pump up they sure this do. whole thing about how the benefits of alcohol look at your anxiety. It would be, and you know, and I think a lot of people get sucked into crossing the line because they've been fed this thing about, Hey, a little bit of alcohol is going to be good for you. It's right. going to relax your, 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 thing. It's going to have antioxidants. It's going to have whatever, whatever they're selling at that point. Right whatever health benefit? It's but such a crock. saying that that's not true. They're it's a All amounts of alcohol mm-hmm. are gonna are gonna hurt you,
0: well, even about, small amounts. Right. And I remember being pregnant, and I had been sober seven years, and the waiter saying, "Studies have shown us that a glass of red wine is actually very helpful." <laughs> right. And you know, he didn't know that I was in sobriety. He had no idea. But I was like, "No, thank you." And I thought. Oh, my God, when he said that, wow, we have really taken it. And I think it was like a news story on 60 Minutes about how red wine could help our heart. But I've said it before on this show. It, nobody talks about the fact that drinking alcohol yeah. on a regular basis actually increases your risk of five different types of cancer. And so I love this story because it speaks to not only alcoholics, we recovering alcoholics, who know that we've made the right decision for ourselves because the risk was immediate. But I also think think it actually um, reveals how yep. dangerous alcohol is, and Absol- even in absolutely. the smallest amounts, it's dangerous.
1: And you know, and you start to and and the thing is that I like about this is that I think that's starting to come out. You know, one of the things that you know, they talk a lot in 12 steps groups about is science. Yes. And then about how science hasn't really caught up. True. With this whole thing about alcoholism, because, you know, even <clears throat> I got to tell you, even doctors like, you know, like I know anybody who's gone into surgery has had a conversation with an anesthesiologist or a doctor or whatever, when they say, Hey, do you drink? Do you use drugs? Do you do this? Right. Do you eat fatty foods? Do you like that? When they ask tell you the that. Truth. Yes. Yeah, that that stuff. Many people say, "Oh, I'm in recovery," or but you know, it's interesting how many doctors don't understand alcoholism in general. True. it's scary. Like true. I, I don't know if this is true, so I'm just throwing this out there. But I heard that you know a doctor told me that they get like a half a day or a day on addiction.
0: I'm, I'm not supply. surprised.
1: But yet you look at the you look at the emergency room. Anybody who's ever broken a bone or you know, had an emergency appendicitis. It has to go in to an emergency room. We'll see. It's got a quarter of it. I don't know what the, oh, the actual number is. Yeah, is all alcohol related, right? It's it's alcohol related, drug related, and yes. people are in there because of either the ramifications of what they did when they took it, or actually the physically, the substance itself. So it's interesting now that science is starting to catch up to say, hey, you know what? This might not be good for you at all.
0: No, no, and I love, I mean, I've read several books on the science of addiction and I love, you know, the ones that say, listen, this is the stuff that you put in your car to drive. Make no mistake, it's the same alcohol. And just like we wouldn't drink nail polish remover, you know, we're drinking something that has the words gin on it. That is the same thing in many ways. It's been infused. Um, I'm not, I I hope I'm not demonizing alcohol, but I believe it's really important. Actually, maybe I don't, (laughs) maybe I'm okay with demonizing alcohol because it's so important for people to have this information when they're trying to make decisions.
1: Oh, absolutely. Hey, let's talk about something else too, that You know, what I like about the Recovered Life Show, Christina, is you and I could dive into some controversial issues. And I'm just going to say it right now. This is post years of pro-alcohol propaganda everywhere, everywhere. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. We're going to see studies like this five or 10 years uh, from now about casual marijuana use. Because I'm going to tell you, I saw over the last 10 years specifically, when people started to come out and push this especially to kids. And look, mm-hmm. I, say what you want. I know people are going to get really pissed about this. I'm well. going to get comments on this. But here's a, the pro marijuana thing about how it will cure cancer, how it will do this how will do, and look, alcohol, you you if I was in the old west and I had a gunshot wound, I yes, I get it. I would take a couple shots of uh of of whiskey because that was the only thing that could numb the pain. Right. But Look, it's, we're not living in that world anymore. And it's the same thing with marijuana. I see kids burnt out Mm -hmm. at 22, 23, 24, 25 coming in, trying to get sober and they still have people in their life telling them not like, "Hey, cut down." They're telling them marijuana is totally fine. It's, it's a, a plant. natural product. It's a plant. It's not going to do. And we've known that it causes secular vomiting. Mm-hmm. It causes all kinds of crap. Mm-hmm. And we're pumping this out. We've got it on election things, and you know, and what's happening now, Christina? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be blunt and say it is. What's happening now is. The ramifications of all this let's drink at every social event. True. Let let's weave alcohol sponsorship into everything. Everything. Has this is exact, this is what we're finding.
0: Well, and if you find and you know, we talked on this show about the female alcoholic, the gray area drinker. Well, when you read this article. That's a gray area drinker. I don't think is a gray area drinker anymore. When you recognize what we're doing to shorten our life yeah. and the marketing dollars that go behind it. I mean, we've got t-shirts at Target that say Rosé all day. And we have this whole mommy culture, you know, with wine, you know, having a glass of wine and even one glass of wine can hurt your brain function and shrink your brain. And so if you think about it like that, we are uneducated inundated with the fact and it's like and it's like a liberation like i have the right now as far as marijuana i think that um that it's interesting that the alcohol section the you know the manufacturers of alcohol are not do not have the same sanctions as drugs do and marijuana can be medicine but it's the kind of medicine that you get from the doctor under supervision it's for certain specific things just like Ketamine, you know, some of the studies that they found out about ketamine helping soldiers with PTSD. So I'm more open to having actual research, but I find it very interesting that there is no research. I mean, this is one study we're starting to get there. But I do believe and I saw it on a thousand hours dry, which is an Instagram story where they said that our the next generation will look at alcohol consumption like this generation looks at smoking.
1: Yes, absolutely, and you know the thing is, is that I want to look at this article real quick. So, uh
0: Put on listening glasses. on the
1: podcast, I'm putting on my my smart glasses. <laughs> uh oh, we're talking about a really small amount of alcohol. Yes, eight grams. Yes. Okay. So th- this is the whole thing, and when you're talking about marijuana, when you're talking about this, Christina, um, and I know this is I'm, I'm turning. It's like where's Damon going with this? People are listening, it's like I- I'm talking about like just the whole. Popularization of it. Mm -hmm. Like, look, I, you know, right now you're talking about ketamine. Ketamine is like basically a horse tranquilizer, right? Like, and I know I'm going to get comments about pro ketamine people as soon as they, as as soon as this is transcribed, right? And I get it. Like, look, I think if I, you know, if I'm having surgery, I'm going under anesthesia, right? But here's the thing when they say, you know, Hey, it's only going to be, and this is going to be the counter. Hey, many people smoke marijuana or many people drink casually and it's totally fine. And do I want to outlaw these things? I don't, you know, me, I'm very libertarian about this. Like, right. I, I, I think that that actually hurts in a, in a lot of ways, right. Like the strict, like you can't do anything, like some things, especially like, you know, there's some things like fentanyl that's out there. There's a huge war on that just because people are dropping dead. Right. Right. But marijuana is a slow burn but alcohol is super dangerous it's coming dangerous. out now it's harder to get sober in some cases than get off heroin yes right like yes. it's hard it's harder right so people don't understand and it used to be less than one in ten now we were talking the other day that we can no longer say three in ten people are suffering it from could addiction. be four
0: in ten yeah it
1: could be four in 10. look if that was if that was granola bars mm-hmm. at the grocery store they'd pull that at one in ten yes Exactly. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I, I think that people just gloss over this. And, and when you really look into this, this is affecting a lot of people.
0: It so is. And it's affecting you even if you don't have the big losses. That's what this article proved. It's affecting you even if you don't have losses like I did, you know, where I broke out in not handcuffs, but you know, I, I, I absolutely would embarrass myself and act like a fool and black out and not even know what happened the night before. Um, so I, I think that, yeah. again, we'll say it over and over again, it's one of the reasons why Recovered Life exists, that it is it is a great exploration into what we have been doing with our bodies and hurting ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think to, to just kind of recap this, and look, I, I know that sometimes I get comments from people that, you know, they'll say, "Hey, you know what, Damon? You're, 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 you didn't, you are you you did not you did not nail that totally. Like, you're missing this piece, yes. or this piece. Put it in the comments. Like, mm-hmm. look, I, I, I'm somebody that would that learn, and I'm not somebody who thinks that everybody that drinks alcohol, uh, is or you know smokes marijuana or whatever is, uh, is an addict, right? Like, mm-hmm. I actually think that it takes a little bit of time, or you have to be a little pre disposition for it a little bit like i I believe that there's a genetic component with that a little bit Not, not always, but sometimes so, and there's a mystery to it. Like, so I sure in the hell don't know, but but I will, but I will tell you, this is, this is pointing more to my case and the people who've been on me about this.
0: It absolutely is. And the more attention that it goes, the more people, you know, I know in Canada, they're thinking of putting the warning label. I don't know if it's passed yet about how dangerous alcohol really is. Now, I also have the other side being a high support needs mother where I know mothers and, you know, Sarah their um, marijuana has been what their, what has helped their child not seize, but those are extreme cases. And that's why I say from a medicinal standpoint, I love to have the option. You know, we know war on drugs doesn't work. We know a lot of things were, were taken off the table for research. Mm-hmm. And so I like the fact that that door is opening. If somebody's suffering from PTSD and nothing has worked. And in that case, it's harm reduction. Yeah, but the general public really needs to think twice before. Look, we're casually. gonna do
1: we're gonna do some shows about the whole thing with you know, look they're using microdosing and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and by the way, with trauma and all this sort of stuff, and and I'm not that's not what I'm commenting. I know, and so to make I'm, sure, yeah, I, I I'm commenting on the rank and file general. Let's watch 85 commercials during the Super Bowl that have to do with alcohol.
0: Absolutely, right?
1: You know what I mean. And and I'll tell you, anyone who's just newly sober or somebody that has somebody that's they're listening to the show, maybe they have an aunt, an uncle, a, a, a son, a, a, a loved one. You know, uh, somebody that you're married to, boyfriend, girlfriend, that's just going through the recovery process, and you've stumbled on the show and you're listening to it, you're now aware. Like I had people, I remember when I first got sober, I had people, and this was in the 90s, Christina, I had family members come up and said, I didn't understand mm. until you were in the room with me. And I was kind of sensitive of that the fact mm-hmm. that you were in your first year of recovery. They're like, I didn't understand how much alcohol is everywhere, right? How it's marketed to it and pushed on us. And do you want it at, you know, you, you're just talking about how the waiter when you're pregnant is pushing right. it
0: on you, right? Visibly you know I mean? pregnant. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's too common. So, well, let's this keep is having it.
1: This has been a great segment, guys. And um, I got to tell you, we have more show Yay. ahead. And you're really going to want to hang on because we've got we- some. We're talking about something in the next segment that everybody is going to really, uh, it shocked me, honestly. You did, When, didn't when it? we did it. Yeah. But I want to do a little, uh, I want to do, I want to mention something here before we go into our segment break, Christina, if I can. Um, you know, you're a codependency expert. Yes. And this is what you do when you coach people and work in codependency. Yes. And you and I put together this thing called Can't Say No.
0: Yes, please. Um,
1: t- tell us a little bit about this.
0: Well, it's a three-day challenge, and uh, what I give people is just the beginning parts of looking at how many times you say yes when you wanted to say no. Um, That's definitely something I specialize in helping people learn how to do that, and this helps you set up some boundaries. You're going to get real tips on how to quit saying yes instead of no, (laughs) and you're going to be able to look at the reasons why you do that. So it's very, very uh, simple to do, but it isn't easy. And so hopefully, and and people have told me so, that after watching the videos and taking the challenge, they're now aware of how many times they have crossed their own boundaries. So
1: listen. If you guys listen, just try to cut you off, but if that's you're okay. out there and you're listening, you're like, can't say no. I don't know if i have a problem. I think, well, listen, this is for anyone who's an over-volunteer. Yes. You're always getting stuck. You're always a person that's cooking the dinner at the family event. You're, you're, you're the person who is always the person that, that for some reason is still working on that like kid's soccer game. You're yes. always a team mom. You're always the, you know, the team dad, you're always over volunteering, right? Absolutely. And you have a problem setting boundaries. And I have to tell you why this is good is a lot of people might not say, hey, am I codependent? They're not going to say that, Christina, no. but but what they wanted, but they might see certain traits. This three-day challenge is so great because one, it's 100% free yes. and all you have to do is go on and it, it gives you three days of videos. And it works through how to say no, how to set healthy boundaries. Because even though you might not be codependent in everything that you do, you might have an area of your life where you're not setting boundaries well and right. are having a hard time saying no. And this is, this is the course for you. And it's 100% free.
0: Yes. Please join it. I put some real gems in there to help everybody just start in the most painless way that they can.
1: And here's how you get the Can't Say No free three-day challenge. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us forward slash can't say no. That's recoveredlife.us forward slash can't say no. So when we come back, Christina, we are going to go into the next segment. So everybody hold on. We've got a small little break and we'll be back.
0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show.
1: Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Christina, segment two. Here we are.
0: Before Here we go, we before we go, I wanted to make sure since we just dropped a bunch of information, the way that you can support the show is to like, follow, and share. So we need to have your participation so we can continue to bring beautiful topics. You can find us on all the platforms. If you're watching the show, uh, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, as well as Twitter. But we're also in the podcast. Uh, platforms out there. If you're in your car and you can't watch, you can listen and make sure to share this with somebody else who is also going down this road in recovery.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for mentioning that too, because this is, I've been hearing from a lot of people, Christina, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they tune into the live show. They'll see us on YouTube or Facebook. They'll watch the replays on Instagram TV or on the Recovered Life app. And they love it, but they want to be able to listen to it on the way to dropping the kids off to school or they want to, you know, on the way back or they (laughs) want to, they want to listen to it at work. Right. They want it like on the way or have it on the background at the gym. I know we, we've got uh, a person that uh, joins us on the gym every day on the treadmill. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that's so great. And, you know, having it on Apple and Spotify and Google it, it allows us to be able to do that. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. And guys definitely, uh, join us so you can find out all about the show, uh, and the brand and recovered life by going to recovered life. Uh, Christina, Christina, I got to tell you, you found this, you, you texted me this weekend. I was out of town mm-hmm. at a little family event uh, for like these little one day things with my daughter, little sports thing. And, um, you text me this, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" That came US from the army. Army, <laughs> tell me about this. I was shocking.
0: Well, I always check, you know, what's out there using the word codependency. And this article came up and it blew my mind that and this is a a recent article and it talked about how prevalent codependency is, you know, and in the army, they have a chaplain that does the counseling and helps families and they have their own unique situation, right? If they're moving around and the chaplain discussed how prevalent codependency is when it comes to uh, their they're counseling. In fact, he said, it shocks me that the person who, you know, I still love him, even if they're being abused and it's not a good situation. And the fact that ARMY talks about it, we generally, a lot of times out there, people kind of tend to genderize codependency and say that it falls in the women's lap or the female partner, you know, that it tends to look like a woman who's needy and she's helping her alcoholic or her partner, whatever that might be. But one of the statistics that came up about a study says that the American population demonstrates codependency by 90%. <laughs> Can you believe that? And the, I think the fact that the Army felt it was important enough to put this on their website made me just happy because when I'm doing my work, I also work with men. And it is definitely not a gendered issue. Plenty of men also deal with codependency. And they go in to explain it. And what I love about it is it's kind of bringing recovery into the mainstream. They talk about uh, Melody Beatty's definition. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the book, Codependent No More. And they talk about low-level codependency behavior. And it means, you know, a spouse who alters their behavior to support the dysfunction of an alcoholic husband or wife in the hope of saving them, which is high-level codependency. And what I what I loved um, is that they admitted low-level codependency almost certainly exceeds a prevalence of 90%, Wow. while high-level is about 50%. So I wanted to share that because I want anybody to know that if you have that going on in your life, let's say 90% of you do, mm-hmm. that it's important to talk about it and get some recovery. Um, well, I when, just brought,
1: just, just real quick, Christine, I brought this yeah. up on the screen so people could see it. And, you know, I want to comment on something that you said here. One of the things that uh, one of the things that is interesting about this article is one that the U.S. Army is doing it. Yes. But but after thinking about this a little bit and having so many conversations uh, with, you know, alcoholics and people in recovery about codependency, the more I read this, the less shocking it became. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. Um, I think actually I bet you and it doesn't say this here. I I, I didn't see this here. Maybe it did. OK. But, I think the people that were that are in the U.S. Army probably suffer at a higher rate, really, of codependency, and I'll t- I'll tell <clears> you <throat> why, because I've known a lot of people that you know uh, that uh, that served, and and many of the people that I went to high school with served, and many of them the Army, and I found those people to be uh, much more the protector type.
0: Oh, right. They really okay. felt
1: a sense of obligation to protect. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I,
1: and, and I think that that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I applaud anybody and anybody who's listening to this, that's a veteran or in the armed, armed services. Thank you for protecting us. But I will. But I will tell you from a from a uh, a psychoanalysis point of view. Right. Uh-huh. From a from, from a non psychologist to say the, the opinion is that sometimes I find this in codependency hidden with men is a sense that they have to protect everything and everyone. Absolutely. Even if they're unhappy and even if it's bad, if people are acting out, they feel they have to protect it.
0: Well, they adjust their behavior, which is, which is what we're talking about. I mean, they adjust their behavior. Perhaps they feel like you said, even if they have feelings, that they're not allowed to share them because that will no. affect the other person so greatly and hurt the other person. And, you know, we have a lot of de- depression in the Army. We have a lot of PTSD based on depending on where they were. It's a, it is a system that is based on the patriarch mostly. And it doesn't allow for boundaries. <clears throat> you know, the once somebody is steeped in this ability, you do what you're told to do and you show up like a good soldier, uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room for discussing feelings or showing up a little scared or a little sad or a little less than. And when you look at... Uh, imposter syndrome, you layer it on top of codependency, you've got a bunch of people running around not able to express themselves, not feeling understood, mm-hmm. having to shove the feelings down. And you're right, I would imagine if you are a soldier, male or female, you have this persona that you're portraying. And, and everybody, every human on this planet has fear has, you know, uh, anger, has sadness, has concern. And the fact that they hide it in order to portray some kind of, you know, something that the other person may need, which is you're my white knight. I remember Brene Brown's Daring um, book. And she shares in that book that she um, was writing, you know, autographing books and a man came up to her and he said, it's very interesting to me that all of your stories about women. And she said, well, yeah, I'm a woman and this is about women. And he says, okay, that's very convenient. And so <laughs> she was like, hmm, okay, tell me more. And he went on to, and of course I'm paraphrasing, to say that he could never show up in his marriage or with his daughters because that's who he was getting the book signed for. Mm-hmm. Anything other than a white knight. Yeah. 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 Anything, other, they would not accept it. And that is one of the, such a beautiful story because it explains, it, it brings in toxic masculinity. I mean, you talk about a group of people that are uh, feeling the pressure of toxic masculinity. I can't think of another group uh, than the army that would have that much pressure on it.
1: Well, listen, and, you know, I don't, I don't always agree with you on, on everything. Okay. Tell me. And this is one where I don't look when you're in combat. You guys can't you can't have a huddle to say, hey, Bob, hey, Sue, let's talk about our feelings. No, uh, you, you know, it's just not it's not the place. And and so, uh, you know, I I sometimes think that, you know, the armed services get a bad rap with that uh, because that's just you, you can't do that. I no. mean, like it'd be great if we could in a perfect world. But the reality is, is that uh, feelings don't don't have to do a lot with the actual participating in warfare uh, side of it. It's the application of what, of what you've been trained to do. Right. But I do agree with the fact that uh, men are, are set up in a system to be the savior. And I, and I do believe that everyone that I've known, I got to tell you, I I don't know. I, I even know people who were in the army, Christina, who went on after, And ended up in prison and all kinds of stuff. They still have service baked, right? Even when they were using, Mm -hmm. still the whole, like, I have to serve or I have to be of service to people is baked in to to the armed services. So, but But, this is, this makes people unhappy sometimes, Okay, Uh, you know. Yeah.
0: But I think that's more, that's more modern than we realized. You know, in World War II, they sent people home. They diagnosed people with nostalgia. And they realized that these young men needed to go home for a month or two to get their head straight. They needed it. I mean, it was literally yeah. a diagnosis. So it hasn't always been that it has to be continued. Right. Continued. Uh, you know, I'm going to show up and I have no feelings. I feel like the reason why the chaplain gets. You know these numbers and talks about ninety percent is because they continue that belief system. They feel very strongly uh, that they have to, yeah. even in their homes, you well, know, without getting clear, help. To be uh-huh. clear,
1: Christina, I don't believe that people can't have feelings ever. I know uh, that in the army. No, I'm not saying that. What, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that I think I think sometimes people uh, they mix up what they're doing and the feelings and stuff. And look, not everybody who enters the army is comes from a healthy uh, family background. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think the most important thing about this, the, the most important thing about this article that I saw that I, it really, it made me think of you when I saw this article, because it says chaplains can remind counselees that people who practice codependency are almost always unhappy. And it mm-hmm. says they expect that they're enabling behavior Will make the codependent person better. Yes, when I'm, they are enabled, reinforces codependency. Right? Yes. They'll expect That's that the ugly it will side. be, uh, yeah, that it will be repaid, and fail to recognize that dependents will not repay Ugh. it. Right? Like, and this is this is the thing that where whether you are in the armed services or not, that I I, I loved about this article because it it I've never really heard codependency broken down in that transactional kind of way before.
0: Oh, and it speaks to the manipulation part, which we always get to in our work eventually. We start to figure out that we yeah. had these invisible contracts with these people where, you know, and I'll speak to just my experience. I had an invis- invisible contract with every romantic relationship that I had, which is I will turn myself inside out and love you to the point that you get better. And they when they don't get ma- better I was mad as hell. I was so mad. Like, don't you see? I'm loving you to get better. You you can't stay sick. And knowing that, um, you know, we we wouldn't do it, you know, if somebody had a terminal illness, but depression, anxiety, uh, alcoholism, these are all very serious ones that will lead to death. And those of us who are on the manipulative side, I'll be the first person to say I was a manipulator in my codependency. I never did anything because I wanted you to, um, to, I mean, I never did anything without the idea that you were going to repay it in some way that you were going to be my project.
1: Look, we know Christina that, you know, it's been so interesting, like doing clubhouse rooms and things like that. We know when we talk with codependency, Codependency is not passive; it's aggressive. Yes, it's not. And this is the big. I think if people are listening to this, go. Why are people in a recovery show talking about codependency? Look, I've never met, like you said, I've never met an alcoholic who is not also a codependent in some way or another. Right? Because there's always an enabler around or something. And when you start to get sober and you start to, after years go by, and you start to unwind your family dynamic and your relationships in your life you start to realize it's like, wow, you know, the practice of codependency is super aggressive.
0: Yes. Because yes. it's
1: forcing people- You're moving them around. To, you're moving them around, you know- I mean, do you find that like, is that an aha the, moment with people?
0: Yes. And it's the sneakiest thing because like children of a codependent mother don't understand why they're angry with their mother because she gave her life for them. They don't recognize that she gave her life for them so that they would be a certain way. And they didn't get the choice to be who they really are. Yes. It's so attached to victimhood and martyrdom, but it's also people that are You know, leaders, they're people that can't fail, you know, for anyone that can't make choices to put themselves ahead of somebody else, you know, that leader that stays later and serves first. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're doing it with resentment, with anger, and you're showing up dishonestly and that is that is something that i hope will people will start to see that it isn't just the typical relationship of an alcoholic and a alan honor or a codependent who's doing everything they can do to help that alcoholic get sober that's how the term was eventually or was uh, yeah. created it was created by aa to describe this but it also includes leaders at work you know, who manipulate their employees, who are everything to their employees. Mm -hmm. Codependency was in every relationship I had. And often a codependent is an incredibly hard worker. So it's very, very tricky to understand. And uh, when I work with several people, they, they will say, I don't understand why I resent this person so much. But when we get down to it, it's what that what that uh, love that coddling, that love bombing meant that they had to be, and so they resent it whenever it shows up again in their life.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know this this happens over and over and over. Sure again. does. You know, we're talking about the army, but you know the thing is about the thing is about why work is so difficult with codependency is because work is already transactional. Yes, and so it's so I'm doing this. I'm going to get this back, right? But the thing is, is that. People will take it like you, we, we did a great show about codependency and work. Yes. And what the comments on that show and why people love that show so much, that past episode is that, you know, people realize it's like, well, this relationship isn't transactional at all in the way that I thought it was. Right. I've given all this energy out. These people didn't even request me to do this. Yes. I'm trying to save this department and get this
0: charity moving or, yes yeah,
1: it's like you know what like it's like this is inappropriate like um and it's the whole thing about setting boundaries that makes this so great is that as you start to realize this you can set boundaries and i'm one of the things that didn't say is how they actually are enacting this in the army right right uh which i'd be it'd be interesting to see how they're doing that
0: i would totally love to understand how they're going about. I mean, they talk about boundaries. They talk about respecting other people's boundaries. They talk about the fact that most codependency begins in childhood. Well, all codependency begins in childhood and how people learn to silent and bury Mm -hmm. their emotions and the idea of being able to record your emotions um, and describing them to a chaplain with codependency rediscover their feelings as well as a sense of self. So they do have a few little tips about moving forward, but they're not saying how the army is going to do this. And with with the issues that we have with soldiers and the PTSD and soldiers, you know, uh, committing suicide, it's something that they've got to get it. They've got to start digging deeper. It has to be more of the conversation that we have. When you are a codependent, And it's really important to realize that what you're doing is actually not from love. It's from fear.
1: Yeah. Well, we need to, I think if anybody's listening to this, and is in the Army and deals with us, or in any armed services and deals with us, we'd love to have you on the show. Yes. And I think that's something that we have to do is we have to reach out because there are so many veterans uh, that are in there. And there's people, you know, look, I know people who have gone into the armed services sober. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other conversation. And they're being way more supportive than they used to. There didn't used to be, uh, but there's now sometimes whole companies of people that are multiple people are sober. And I know that that's also an experience. So I think there's so many good things going on here. And I, when I saw this, it actually made me feel good. I was like, you know what? Things are moving in a direction that are good. People are becoming aware of this and it's going to stop a lot of pain.
0: It is, it is. And your company is going to run better. And one of the things that I do is I work with companies on how do you make room for your employees to deal with their trauma, how you treat them, what is the culture you know, I was a great employee because I was dying to be recognized. And I would put my bosses, uh, my supervisors in this entire situation that it was a family dynamic, which is one of the things that we discussed in that episode, yes. um, how much I would layer my experience on top of this person. And as much as that might sound unprofessional, Your employees are showing up with it anyway, and it's getting in the way of production and happiness and it's getting in the way of retention. And so it has to each employer or the army, whoever we're talking about, the business world has to make room for solution in this area.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know what? This is but thank you for bringing this to uh, my attention. And I'm glad that we were able to have a conversation about this today because it's a huge issue. Uh, and we're going to have more conversations on the Recovered Live Show. We're coming to the end here of episode 82, Monday, March 7th. This is great. We're going live, guys, three times a week Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays on or about eight o'clock. We're getting closer and closer. <laughs> we are. We're getting closer and closer to the hitting that eight every time that we go out. And you guys could check us out on all of the podcast channels. Christina Dennis, thank you so much. You're welcome. This was a a super great episode. And we will see you Wednesday. Bye, y'all. Have a beautiful day.